flat cap. Naked lycra, uncovered lycra. Lycra without a baggy over it does not help anyone. Does mountain biking have an image problem? Not really, but it doesn't really have enough of an image to have a problem. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's Single Track World podcast. I'm Hannah and this week we have Mark. Hello. And Charlie. Hello. And Chips. Hello. They all sound quite like it's the second or two pause there. So let's hope they're awake. Um, Mark, you, you you could be excused, Mark, for being a little bit slow because you, you might still have jet lag. Um, you're a sensitive soul and you've you've been far away. Tell us about where you've been. Well, I've now been back in the UK for well over a week, so any jet lag I should have got over, but I haven't. For some reason, I keep falling asleep at 8 o'clock at night and then waking up wide awake at, like, 11 o'clock and can't get to sleep. For some reason, it's like... Anyway, I've been to Utah in the the United States of America. Mm. Uh, Mm. It was was for a bike launch, which I cannot tell you about. Okay. Uh, uh, until January the twenty fourth. Okay. <laughs> but while I was there, I did get to do quite a bit of riding. I mind you, quite a bit. Two days of riding, but we did cover quite a lot of ground in that uh, in that in that time. It was an e bike I was riding. And um, um, whereabouts in Utah were you? It was only just in Utah. I actually flew into Las Vegas, and then it was two hours out of Utah. Apparently, we we drove very briefly through Arizona, and then mm-hmm. into the bottom left hand corner of utah and a place called and it's completely escaped my brain st. george sent near you're right near st george and the resort yeah. is red mountain resort that's it so you're basically on the doorstep of where they have rampage weren't you that's right yes in the same kind of geographical area i think we rode about about 15 miles away from where rampage this year took place planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So it's it's going to be like a huge travel, uh, like downhill fork e-bike thing that you could 
beast your way up to the top of the cliffs and then flip your way down. Yeah? Is that what you were doing? That's not at all what we were doing. Come on, it's called no. the Huxtable, there... isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely no middle-aged rampage going on in my riding. Oh, very There's always a middle-aged rampage with you, Mark. Well, yes, I guess. <laughs> no, it's, I, I honestly cannot tell you about the bike I was riding, but it was we had a great time. The trails were absolutely amazing. We rode double black trails, um, and none of them were anywhere close to being anything that you'd recognise in Rampage. It was all wheels on the ground, rocky, technical, um, very slabby, not a lot of flow, to be honest, because it was so technical all the way around. And the views were outstanding. I've never seen, I've never experienced terrain like that before. I've ridden over in the US a few times. I've ridden close to there, in fact. I've ridden in Park City, which is a bit like where we were riding, but with trees. It's the other um, end of Utah, Park City, isn't it? So it's it like is. a whole pile of elevation up. And it's like a ski resort as well. So it has green stuff and... And mountains and trees, but where you were is more like big red lumps of rock, isn't it? And lava. Yeah, not hot lava, dead lava, but there's lava fields and it was very desert like. So, but it was actually, bizarrely, it was freezing cold. It was actually daytime temperatures around freezing. And uh, which is weird because it was super blue sky and really strong sun. And at one point, I stood. In, in the sunlight, and I stood with my leg behind a wall, so it was in the shade, and my leg got really, really cold because <laughs> it was out of the sun. So, yeah, it was it was really cool, but it was, I'm used to the cold. I that like the cold. Quite, that doesn't quite cut it for the sympathy. You don't get sympathy for that. <laughs> well, I have a cold leg, it, Charlie. It's November. <laughs> One cold leg. The, 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 the One drizzle, cold leg. <laughs> the drizzle is drifting knee deep outside right now, yep. and you're in sunshine. I don't care how cold or sunshine was oh dear but the riding the riding was spectacular i have to say it was two days there so it was a 10 and a half hour flight out a two-hour transfer um and then two days in the resort and then the same thing coming back and i have to say on bal i mean the traveling was awful the the way out i had uh, a guy i was in the window seat on the plane i had a guy in the middle seat who had a very different definition of personal space to my own and um, and it was it was horrible. However, the riding made up for it. Into I would I would certainly go back there and ride for two days and suffer the long haul travel because it was that normally, it was that good. You, would, you normally avoid flying like a plague as well, so it must have been good riding. Uh, it, it was like I said. I would definitely go back and do that again, even if it was just for a couple of days. It was well worth the trip, uh, despite you know it all being in it was Mormon country. So that was that was interesting experience. <laughs> you have to plan your alcohol purchases much more carefully. You do indeed. In in fact, a lot we've got got some really good tips from some of the guides. For example, one of our guides was saying that um, it's actually legal to import alcohol across the state line. So if you're in Utah, you can't order drinks and have them delivered. You can't order alcohol and have it delivered through the post across the state line, which makes it a bit of a problem for people who have, you know, joined beer clubs. But the son of the guide said that they have this clever workaround. I hope I'm not going to drop anybody in trouble here mm. or get get people arrested. <laughs> um, but I, even on he's a podcast, he, shush. <laughs> but he's 
His son is a member of a beer club. Be like Beer 52. Um, Charlie, you can tell us about Beer 52 later because I do believe we've still got an offer on for our readers, haven't we, on Beer 52? What a we marketing do. segue that was. That was genius, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if only I could remember the discount code. They'd be brilliant. <laughs> if only I had any of the beer here, it would be even more brilliant. I it's think there's some be... beer in the office. There's some I beer know. in the office. Yeah, well, I'm not mm. in the office. And I have anyway, I was telling you a story. you got some... <laughs> Yes, so this, this person in Utah is a member of a beer club, a bit like Beer 52, but he's actually instructed the beer club to not actually label the boxes when they get delivered to him. And instead, he said, please, can you label up all the boxes as snow globes and declare them as snow globes? <laughs> so he is now Utah's premier importer of snow globes. So, so that's how you do it, folks, if you're living in Utah and you want to get a beer. I think I'm uh, still a member of a, a members club in Moab. Um, when I, because they're like, if you're in a restaurant, you're allowed a, a beer with your with your meal. But then the second you stop eating, they can't serve you any more beer, and they can't bring a second beer to you while you're still finishing the first beer. And great rules like that. So, so I went out and I went to uh, there was this sort of club. Uh, that looked like it was a good place to go and people were having fun there. And there was a queue outside and there was a bouncer and people were coming up and he was going, are you a member? Yes. Oh, well, $2 in you come. Are you a member? Yes, $2. And then I turned up and he's like, are you a member? Like, uh, no. And he went, oh, uh, guy over there in the stripy shirt, that's Ted. He signed you in, all right, if the police turn up. So uh, that'd be $2. So I'm now now a member. Sounds just like the blue uh, pig. So the, in the um, off-license, <laughs> yeah. on the way in, into the off-license in Moab, there's a sign. I've actually got a picture of it here on my phone. So it says, notice to minors, no one under the age of 21 is permitted to enter this store unless accompanied by parent or spouse of legal age. Do you have to bring your gun in with you to buy alcohol? <laughs> no. Is it just the one but spouse? There's a good chance that, that you have a spouse... Before you're allowed to buy beer, so that was, I mean, that was the, um, my first, my second big impression when I landed in America for the first time. One was, damn, everything's really American. You know, <laughs> that's the thing with America. Everything looks really American, and just like the movies. And the, um, we went straight to a liquor store in Phoenix, and, uh, and there was a big sign telling me not to bring my gun in. And it's like, oh yeah, this is really American now. <laughs> they had a whole aisle of IPAs. Including mm. all day IPA, which is intended only is sold by the case and intended for all day drinking. It's a brilliant product. I like the sound of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the uh, the trip was amazing. I, I, I did go there expecting that we might be getting a bit of rampage action, you know, proper what people might think is proper mountain biking, but I, I didn't. It was all wheels on the ground. It was super spectacular stuff. And while I was over there riding that, what were you doing, Hannah? I was giving a talk in Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what was your talk about? Short straw. Well, so uh, ride Sheffield uh, with the assistance of Manon Carpenter had organised uh, an event about reframing mountain biking, um, and it was. What is Charlie doing? I was just it's holding up something that says "seg no way." Oh, okay. 
Did you not like my segue then, Charlie? That was brilliant. It's like, no way, that's seamless. (laughs) I've just ruined it. It's too distracting. Um, Yeah, uh, 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 event called Reframing Mountain Biking. And um, so it was looking at how we can improve access to our trails um, and how we can broaden the number and type of people that are doing mountain biking as well um, and who goes to, to to that who, who was in the audience so it was their first kind of event um of this style and so they kept it fairly small so there was some media people there um some trail associations but not all trail associations just some um and some people from um, the Cycling UK, Natural Resources Wales, uh, Forestry, uh, now then, I'm not sure it was Forestry Commission, Forestry Land Scotland, something like that. Um, yeah, kind of a mix of people. Uh, and there were a few like guides, uh, coaching type people there as well. So I was ta- asked to talk about image and mountain biking as my bit so different people gave different presentations um and um so there was uh, some presentations on diversity and inclusivity and then there was mine on image or me and another guy from i think natural resources wales who did image and mountain biking and we had two from two trail associations as well People might be mistaken for thinking this all sounds a bit academic and dry, but afterwards you actually wrote up a story and you published it on the website. Um, it was a members-only story, so you have to be sort of subscribed to be able to read it. But despite that, it's gone off the chart in terms of people's thoughts and comments on it. I mean, I think it's over 100 comments as of the date of this recording. Mm-hmm. So it, it's gone a bit ballistic. I mean, it, it seems to be the discussion is on the website, seems to be concentrating on how... I'm going to see if I can sum it up and then you can explain if this is the case, Hannah. It seems to be about the fact that the public perception outside of our community of mountain biking, so like the no- normal people, it seems to be their perception of mountain biking might be tainted by a lot of the marketing and that people think of it as something that's a bit extreme, whereas what we we know that what we do week in, week out can mostly be sort of categorised as bridleway bimbling. <laughs> Which is what I think. I don't think that's pretty typical. I think 95% of mountain biking is mostly bimbling with your mates rather than doing anything extreme. Would you say that characterises what's going on in the discussion, Hannah? Yeah, so that was kind of my thesis, was that people who don't ride mountain bikes, what do they see? What do they know about mountain biking? So I kind of went through different news sources because people who don't know about mountain biking are not reading single track. Let's face it. Um, So, uh, yeah, so I looked at like Google News results and The Guardian, which is kind of broadly pro cycling and to see what kind of stories you might get. And everything that you find is either about injury or it's just not there. Like there is a tiny amount of news coverage about mountain biking in the general broader press so 
it kind of struck me that, well, if what you think is, oh, it's scary and it's likely to cause you an injury, then you're hardly likely to write into your local council when they do do a consultation on building a new trail centre instead of a golf course or something and go, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like, I want my kid to do that because mm. your idea of what it is, is is skewed from the reality. I mean, that brings um, up a bit of a question or two that's come up in the in those comments. Um, I've got it actually open in front of me, so I'm just reading through this. But a couple of people on there have said, look, you know, if, if people who aren't mountain bikers perceive mountain biking as something else, does that actually matter to us because we just go out and do it? Why is it important to change the public perception of mountain biking? Well, so it kind of, there's two elements, I, I think two elements to it, maybe more. There's, there's one is that, there's a lot of riders at the moment pushing for uh, the kind of trail association model to, where they take over what is currently called wild trails or cheeky trails, like stuff that's been dug in the woods that's enduro fit stuff. And, um, and when they are trying to get that turned legit, they come up against land managers who are really scared about having people injured on they on these trails and on their land and the liability for it and all that kind of thing. Um, and you also get people who are sharing those woodlands and hillsides with us, like dog walkers or whatever, or horse riders, saying, oh, well, I, I don't like mountain bikers because they scare my horse, they hurt my dog, whatever. So when it comes to advancing that kind of more advanced end of the sport, you hit opposition because people are scared of mountain biking. Um, and then when you look at the more like entry level end of the sport, it's not accessible to a large number of people because there aren't bridleways or there aren't trails, marked trails for people like in urban areas particularly to go and access. So that kind of mass of the population who might either get into mountain biking and then become those advanced riders of the future or get into mountain biking and just think, yeah, mountain biking is a good thing and it's good for me. Like they don't have the opportunity to discover it and they're not seeing it in the press as being a thing that you might go and try, like you see other sports as being a thing that you might go and try or other activities, I would call it, as a thing. So, so, so yeah. there's um, a lot of parallels have been drawn in that article and in the discussion with other sports. And Charlie, you've got a bit of insight into some some of these so-called other sports, don't you? <laughs> other sports. What 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 else is the there? ones that aren't football? Um, yes. Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been um, well. I, I started off riding off road in 1979 before we even knew the word mountain bike in my little neighborhood in the woods and I've been skateboarding since 77 and that led on to surfing and skateboarding and surfing are, are massive industries now big business when I started 30 something years ago surfing there was one or two surf schools in Cornwall now there's two or three on every beach and it's surfing was started off as a um as a subculture and it was um glamorous dangerous beach bums and beatniks the beat, you know, if if it wasn't cool, the Beach Boys wouldn't have pretended to be surfers. The Beach Boys couldn't what's surf. A, what's a beatnik? 
Exactly. It's me, it's me in the beret. Um, no, the beatniks is kind of that jive-talking, pre-hippie, art-loving, beret-wearing, uh, early 60s and 50s kind of art kind of hipster. Ah, hipster. That's what they are. They're just hipsters. <laughs> the original hipsters. Sorry. Proto-hipsters. And, and um, so the Beach Boys didn't even surf. And um, but they built their whole career on surfing, which is um, which proves that it is something that was desirable and cool and merchantable, merchantizable or uh, marketable right from the very beginning. And skateboarding has been the same thing. But the the roots of surfing and skateboarding are beach bums, drugs. Uh, it's it's the bad boy image, and it's always gone against it. But I think. Surfing and skateboarding being around longer than mountain biking, and we got to a point where the kids who the, skate, the kids who were skateboarding in the seventies and the guys who were surfing in the sixties and seventies were now town councillors, <laughs> and it's moved on. You know, we're, we're old punks and old skaters, and now almost every town has an awesome bit of uh, concrete skate park. Um, locally, Todd, great. Yeah, I don't like it, but it's a good skate park. Hebden Bridge, great skate park. You go over the hill, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. Now, these weren't around in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, or the noughties. And I think um, town councillors have realised that if you give people a sporting facility, they'll use it. And I think the same will, will happen in time with mountain biking. There's a natural selection that occurs in business. If people can make money out of it, it will happen. If they can't make money out of it, it might happen for a bit of a fade away. And people have figured out um, that they can make money. Well, not make money. They can keep people quiet. Keep the kids quiet by building them skate parks. And um, Hannah, uh, Hannah mentioned skiing. We've been talking about this before the podcast. No ski resorts. They, they're there because people are making money. And so if we can position mountain biking in a place where it, uh, people are making money, the cafes making money, the car parks making money, the hotels making money, etc. Then the support, the promotion, the publicity will just naturally flow. And if we can support, if 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 as mountain bikers, if we support the people who support us, the guy making bacon butties in, in the lay-by or whatever, through to the resorts, it will all come together. It's just a matter so of time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, so that's kind of the other bit of what I was saying um, was like, who can make these 
good impressions happen. And yes, as riders, we've all got individual responsibilities to be on our best behaviour, uh, portray ourselves as well as possible. Um, but surfing, but, a mountain, uh, surfing and skateboarding has always been a a badass, you know, badass thing. It's always, always been a bit gnarly and not that marketable. When they figured out they can make money well, out of... Well, what happened is industry figured they can make money out of uh, people looking like a skateboarder, looking like a surfer. So now they're making money out of selling everyone T-shirts and expensive shoes. They've, uh, they portray it as a nice, wholesome thing. And because they portrayed it like that, it has followed. If you go, if you paddle out in places, uh, if you go surfing, I go surfing spots I've surfed for 30 years, and now there's children out there. There's now ladies out there. That didn't happen 10 plus years ago. That was really rare. And it's become much more accessible. But isn't the difference actually here between what's happened in what you're saying has happened in surfing and skateboarding and mountain biking is the fact that um, kids take up skateboarding because it's a fun thing to do, but no one's saying that that's extreme and you're going to hurt yourself and no one's actually pointing out all the injuries. And believe me, I know, and you know, Charlie, that skateboarding, <laughs> yeah. if you really want to get yourself into some, into a, on crutches and into a pot, then skateboarding is probably the most efficient way to go about doing that. When, when you're our age, Mark, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. I've, I've stayed lucky. I haven't, I haven't dislocated a thing for quite some time. <laughs> So how is it that an injury-prone sport like skateboarding seems to have a much healthier image, whereas uh, mountain biking, we're saying here, seems to be portrayed as something as that's extreme and full of injuries and not being portrayed as something healthy and a good thing to do? If I can wade in here for, for a sec, just because... Um... By amazing coincidence and not a crowbar segue, the editorial in the next issue of the magazine happens to touch on this subject in that um, mountain biking has always been a, a sort of individual sport and it prides itself in the fact that you can just go off into the woods and ride around and you don't need 10 friends to all be on a paid-for pitch on a on a Sunday, Sunday morning. Um, but because of that... Uh, mountain bikers have never really needed to to get together to to formalize groups and things uh, we have we have a national uh, body the you know British cycling who really only cares about competition and so that will be I got my the... head bitten off for setting for saying that <laughs> well well that's all they care about um, it's true <laughs> it's true so um, and and you've got you know, a culture in mountain biking that, you know, we don't really need to to, uh, to to unionize. And in the UK, we've been very lucky with our sort of historical accidental crowbarring in of, of bikes in the 1968 Rights Away Act, where it was like uh, bicycles are allowed on roads oh, and bridleways. And because of that, we, we then had our access set in, in stone. But what we've found in, in recent years is that a lot of councils don't know who to talk to. The forestry managers don't. There's no rep, local rep for the mountain bikers. There is for the climbers and the walkers and the lovers of the birds and the trees. And uh, But mountain bikers, because we're too cool and we don't really need to get together and form a group, uh, the councils will go, right, we've, we've flattened this trail, which was getting a bit bumpy because the horse riders... Uh, have complained about it and we asked the local cycle touring club and they said they don't go down 
that track. So, you know, help yourself and make it uh, nice and smooth for uh, for everyone to ride. And the mountain bikers suddenly discover that their favourite trail has been bulldozed because the council didn't know who to talk to. And their idea of what is rideable and what people can ride is completely well, wrong, uh, completely different to what we know is a fun mountain bike trail that's also accessible for other other users. And so, but that puts all of the uh, pressure for like activism and uh, change onto local volunteers rather than there being, because we don't have a national body or a brand-led kind of representative thing. And so this is partly what I was arguing was that that we should see the brands step up and do this different sort of marketing, marketing that helps uh, reach. I mean, this is totally shooting myself in the foot because I'm saying don't spend your money with single track, go and spend your money in advertising in the Telegraph or whatever to brands. But I think to further the interests of mountain biking, that's what we need. And if you look at people like Burton, when they invented snowboards or whatever, or really wanted to sell them, they went out there and like created this whole scene and like did a bunch of marketing and spoke to people outside of the skiers to sell it to the resorts. And Specialized have done it in the US. They have taken forest um, service land managers out on e-bikes because they know that in those areas it's those specific land managers that have the um the authority to say whether e-bikes are allowed to ride on their trails or not and so that there is it is possible for brands to influence stuff from a top-down way but at the moment i only see it happening in like little silos and pockets rather than all of those big brands with all that money that they're making out of it trying to get together instead of a whole bunch of volunteers at local level, level trying to get together in their spare, you know, couple of hours a week or whatever. I agree with you, Hannah. I think there's a bit of a uh, a mismatch between marketing and the reality when it comes to mountain biking. I think you're right. I think the brands need to probably think about this a little bit more. I'm going to just draw a parallel with, with snow sports and skiing. Um, so... If you think about snowboarding and skiing and the perception of what people think of it, it's 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 certainly. I mean, we've all grown up with Ski Sunday and we've seen all the downhill stuff and all that sort of stuff. So, and we've all grown up in probably the secondary schools where the the, the slightly more well-off kids got to go skiing once a year and, and things like that. I never got to go on that. I couldn't. Yeah, but uh, but. It's it's an interesting marketing exercise to compare mountain biking with with snowboarding and skiing. The biggest sort of market for snowboarding and skiing isn't the kids, the teenagers doing snowboard drops across pillow fields and and in massive powder fields. Ninety nine percent of all the money in snow sports actually is generated by middle-aged people going on holiday maybe once or twice a year and just cruising down peace in somewhere in the Alps. That's where the money is. There's a good example of this, which is that the Telegraph of, of all papers has this regular annual uh, ski and snowboard supplement. And they know exactly where the money lies in terms of skiing and snowboarding. It's exactly with their demographic. And whether we like it or not, 
most of mountain biking is kind of that same clientele, that same market. It's it's us middle-aged people because simply put, it's the middle-aged demographic that's got all the cash to be able to drop five grand on a mountain bike. And uh, and I mean, we've got the luxury of the fact we can ride it from our doorsteps and we don't have to go to the Alps to be able to do it. But it's, it's the marketing... Sorry, I was coming in cheers chips because that threw me then. <laughs> the marketing of ski and snowboarding isn't all about the there's a lot of extreme out there. You know, you watch Red Bull and they do all this sort of uh, there's a kind of a equivalent to mountain bike rampage in snowboarding, but most of the marketing or most of the public perception of skiing is what 95% of skiers do, which is just cruising in zigzag lines down a piste which I think is the equivalent of mountain bikers just going out onto bridleways and going a long way through the countryside. So skiing seems to have got it right. I think mountain I think, biking uh, needs to do something to fix that. Um, one thing we've got in the UK that's perhaps different to the US and, and maybe some of the other ski sort of um, centres is that uh, they're obviously res resort-based, whereas we just ride bikes. And because the the image of skiing is is that very resort based, um, very shiny, very very well photographed image, uh, in the UK we only really have what people have seen. And for anyone who isn't a cyclist, uh, a bicycle is a toy. It it comes at, you know you buy your children toys, and then at some point. They they learn to drive and then they stop you know playing with toys and so we we are seen by people who don't have much contact with bikes as as sort of messing around on these on these toys and or I, as I being think, really annoying worthy eco warriors that's the other oh, that yeah. or, or the or complete opposite of of being complete rad jumping off houses kind of rad dudes that you see on uh, on the TV. And there's no there's no middle ground because that's not interesting to to write about. It's not interesting to to see pictures of, and like there's no you know two and a half star reviews ever. There's either one star or five star. You know, no one says, "Well, this is perfectly acceptable." I'm you know I'm satisfied with my purchase. It's, but this is the nub of the issue, isn't it? Because the yeah. other sports that we're looking at seem to have managed to find a way to market to that middle ground, but mountain biking hasn't. So, I mean, in that discussion on our forum in, to, in response to Hannah's uh, article, there's lots of people taking up issue with the word mountain biking, or the word, the words mountain biking. Do we need to call it something different, or is that just throwing the <laughs> baby out with the bathwater? There's a quite a few interesting suggestions on there. Wild cycling, for one. Do we have a, do we have a name problem? Well, wild swimming is all the bloody rage now isn't it is it wild swimming swimming it's not it's not wild you know wild swimming is is swimming in 20 foot waves or over waterfalls you know but it's wild swimming it's just swimming it's just but swimming. mountain biking 99 percent of the time is not riding on mountains no I, I, i'm a, i've always complained about this and i think you know mountain you're not a mountain biker until you hit a summit even 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 if it's That's a summit in very Surrey, very elitist stance to take, Charlie, and I take issue with that. Well, I've been quite so, literal. 
You're not helping yeah. the argument, Joe. <laughs> well, and so this is, I guess, why the discussion about the term mountain biking came about, is that, like, if you live in Birmingham, how do you see mountain biking as something for you? Because you're a very long way away from any mountains. Well, Hannah, Actually, the, 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 older, the, the older members of the crew here might remember the times of uh, there was a debate in the cycling press in the 80s. Do we call it ATB or MTB? Is it mountain biking or all-terrain biking? And that was actually a debate in when we had a handful of magazines and many of them only reached issue five and stuff like that in the very early days. But it was about 80, 88-ish, 87. That was a thing. Do we call it all-terrain biking or mountain biking? And, the, and there was a perception that mountain bike was uh, copyrighted by Charlie Kelly and Gary Fisher. Kelly. And, uh, mm, and we, we couldn't use it. What about tracker about, bikes? So it all went tracker. wrong in the 80s. You made bad choices in the <laughs> 80s. It turns out Charlie Kelly made a bad choice because the guy, the guy, him and Gary Fisher put on to, put, to trademark the word mountain bike didn't know his arse from his elbow and didn't trademark it properly. So Charlie Kelly and Gary Fisher could be making half a dollar each every time someone says the word or sells something with the word mountain bike on it. But their guy cocked up. He's probably... It's probably just a guy who lived in a hut uh, and grew things in the mountains rather than a, a proper trademark lawyer. So we could blame the... a lawyer and the 80s. These sound like justifiable things to blame for everything yeah. being wrong today. Can you, imagine, can you imagine how all the magazines would have evolved? How many magazines has there been in the last 30 years that were MTB? Would it have been ATB UK? Would, would that have the same ring as MB UK? Umbook. <laughs> Um, um, a- <laughs> who are those two brothers who made annoying Adam. tunes with big three brothers with big fringes? What are they? Mbok. Hanson. Hanson, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I got that. that was like some kind of vocal charades. <laughs> do we need, do we no need f- another name then? Wild cycling, all terrain bike, all terrain Tra- tracker bikes. Everyone had one of those Off, in the 80s. Off road cycling. It seems to me, weirdly, that gravel riding is basically what most mountain bikers do. You know, if if you think about what the terrain that you're riding on, gravel biking, you know, we see that currently the definition of that is a drop barred bike that's totally unsuitable where riding somewhere that a mountain bike would be much more comfortable to be. But it seems to be that I think that most of our riding that we generally do could be called gravel or Something Mark, Mark, if, if mountain biking was meant to be easy, there's two words in its name that shouldn't be there mountains and biking. You know, so if you're riding a gravel bike off road, it's just it's a road bike with chunky tires that's challenging. And I'm, I'm a big fan of inappropriate cycling, whether that be because you've been to the pub or because you're out of shape or your bike is completely inappropriate. I'm so we've got another option all of now. Those. We've got inappropriate cycling. That's Charlie's suggestion that's for how we rename. That's what we do. Yeah. yeah, everybody... Th- well, that's the problem, isn't it? Everyone thinks that what we do is inappropriate. Cross-country riding, um, off-road cycling. Off- I hate the word cycling. It just reminds me of people in plaid knickerbockers with a flat cap with riding. It's um, just me, then? <laughs> oh, yeah. Chips and has, your, and your wildest dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yes. R- riding. Uh, no, I don't like bikers to dis- oh, okay. to describe 
mountain bikers mm. just because you think of leather clad beardy people who ride motorbikes mm. on your own time you can do that yeah i mean when i started riding bikes here we go back in back in my day back in the day and chips can relate to this i think on when i tracker, started mountain bike no. on my tracker bike the first mountain bike I had has a 71 degree head angle. If we rode it now, you just it, it, it'd be worse than a gravel bike. But it was mountain biking, as it was still called back then, for me was all about just going across the country to get to places that I could get to quicker than if I walked or to places that I couldn't actually walk to. I, rather ashamedly, you can kind of sum it up as, as, as kind of like, it was like an extension of rambling. <laughs> You know, it's just that it allowed, it was a tool that allowed me to go into the countryside further than I could walk. That's what mountain biking was. Now, when I think about what I did in Utah, see what I'm doing here, I'm just bringing it all the way around. When I did what I did in Utah, what we did, we got to places that the, the most exciting part of that riding was the views that it gave us, the fact that I got out there into a landscape that I would not have been able to walk to. And that is kind of mountain biking for me. I like doing the, you know, the jumps and the, you know, the bike park stuff. But mountain biking, as it was 20, 25, 30 years ago, was about taking you to new places. It was not necessarily about the thrill of the ride. It was about where you could go. Chips told me when we were chatting downstairs at Single Trek a few years ago, that the bicycle was voted the most important invention ever in the history of humankind because we got to have sex in the next valley. I think that was the gist of it. We uh, It changed the... Chips will elaborate in a second, but I think it changed the nature of the human race because we started breeding outside of our immediate um, area. Allowed us to spread our seed to the other valley. Is that what you're basically saying? So you, you, you had uh, yeah, fun think, because you got to. I think that's the basis of a, a book by Carlton Reed about how the bicycle allowed people to meet other folk from more than five miles away, and not just on market day once a month. So it was. Uh, it allowed uh, freedom. It allowed ladies to ride to another another village. Allowed young gentlemen to uh, to explore, and sometimes they met up, and <laughs> and uh, and there was greater uh, yes, greater diversification. Um, so, and so then Mark, separately, you could be getting a lot more than a view. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I see fun. where you're going. That's not the... why I did it, though. But yes, <laughs> I, I get what you mean. But all of these things are fun, and they are they are selling bikes and riding bikes on the basis of fun consequences rather than <laughs> trying to beat people into riding bikes to work or whatever because that's better for the environment or it's cheaper than driving in or whatever and it seems to me that as well as being good for mountain biking like getting more people into riding off-road and enjoying it is a really good way to get people to ride bikes generally um and if you look at so the, there's a thing called the Bicycle Association, which is the current, the trade body that, that bicycle brands pay to be part of. And that's the bit that does lobbying for government. And it's done some stuff for mountain biking, largely on um, e-bike regulations, it's kind of dry but important. Um, 
but really their focus is on utility cycling, which, you know, makes sense given climate crisis and everything. Um, but in terms of getting kids onto bikes, they look at bikeability, which is effectively giving kids all the ingredients that they need to be able to ride a bike, like how to actually ride a bike, but not actually telling them why they might want to, because it's the skills to then go and survive on the road, basically. Whereas, or where they're perhaps, allowed to ride as well. Or, yeah, where, where they're allowed, you know, how to do hand signals, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't make you think, yes, like I could go out and play in the woods or I could go out and play with my friends or whatever. It's just... It, as I, I likened it to being giving somebody all the ingredients for a pie rather than giving them an actual tasty pre-cooked pie. And perhaps if the Bicycle Association was to do things like lobby for pump tracks to make pump tracks or urban trails to be as common as skate parks and swings and slides, then kids would go out and ride on this stuff from the beginning so yes they'd still need to be taught like how to do hand signals on the road and when you've got right of way and that kind of stuff but they wouldn't need to be taught how to pedal how to set off how to ride one-handed because they'd be doing all that stuff because it's fun because they'd have learned it in the same way that they go and learn to swing on a swing and slide down a slide um, so yeah, I think there's a real trick being missed in the, the selling of bikes as fun. And instead we have this whole like media rhetoric about bloody cyclists and <laughs> like rollouts and worthy green eco warriors and that kind of thing. Mm. I'm going to go around the table now because I'm going to try and sum this up now because we've been talking for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, we've had some rambling sort of opinions going on here in, in a good way. Uh, but I just want to go around and just eat, ask each of you a question. I just want a yes or no answer. And the question is, Hannah, does mountain biking have an image problem? Yes, it's invisible. Charlie, does mountain biking have an image problem? Yeah. I think um, it's not as cool as skating and surfing and it's not as desirable. And people pay money to dress up as skaters and surfers and never do it. No one pays to pretend to be a mountain biker. Chips, does mountain biking have a image problem? Um, I will say not really, but it doesn't really have enough of an image to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and one, just going around then, trying to sum things up. Hannah, if mountain biking has an image problem, whose problem is it? Brands. How are they going to fix that? How what what's the message in a couple of sentences that you would send to brands to get them to rethink their strategy? I really think that they need to start using the Bicycle Association to further mountain biking or mountain biking adjacent type activities. Yeah. Right. I think we'll probably bring that to a close there. I kind of um, agree with you, Hannah. I think the, the, the industry itself has got a lot to do here. And I think there needs to be a bit of a realisation that where the actual... Because these things are always commercial, as Charlie will say. Where the money actually is, is not where the image is. And if they 
and I think it would benefit everybody if there could be a bit of rebalancing of that middle ground that we keep saying nobody's actually focusing on. How they do that, I've got no idea. Well, and I do think we must we must recognise all those volunteers that are doing fantastic jobs in local train, trail associations, um, and they could do even more fantastic jobs if they had the funding to support it or central funding to support it or whatever. But yeah, ultimately they are volunteers and it will be hard-won battles because it's always going to be in their spare time. Um, and that's why I think really the responsibility comes back to the brands to, to step up. Yeah, I, I love that analogy or that example you quoted before of uh, special, was it special, as you said, in America, taking out local uh, representatives, local you know important people and getting them on bikes and going, look, this is it. I think maybe a bit of that could happen here. You could go to local councils and get the right people and go, come on, let's go and take you out for a ride. Let's show you what it actually is. Mm. And if the actual people, the decision makers, could see mountain biking for what it actually is and not what the perception is, then maybe access to facilities and that public image that there is about mountain biking could be changed. On that note... And Lycra. Lycra. Lycra does not help... Naked lycra, uncovered lycra. Lycra without a baggie over it does not help anyone. To be fair, there's not a great deal of it around in mountain biking these days, is there? It's definitely moving in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> so your goal, Charlie, I think we can sum you up as saying that you, what you think the industry should do is try and get people to want to look like mountain bikers. Yeah, we, 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 uh, mountain biking outfits should be a nice uh, uh, plaid shirt, some cut-off jeans, um, match it up with some skate shoes, and just sort of, you know, make it make make it a look that you kind of that you want. How about the, you just wear whatever you like? That works too, but, you know, I don't think anyone... Kids don't grow up going, oh, I want to look like that. People want to look like Hells Angels. People want to look like skateboarders. People want to look like, but no, mountain bikers. We did. We. I think. I think it comes down to. Let's try and summarize this. If mountain biking was a boy band, we wouldn't make the cut for the Eurovision Song Contest. If mountain biking was a band, <laughs> who would it be? Coldplay. <laughs> Apparently, one of my neighbours used to be an embrace. I was like, who the hell is that? So, so maybe embrace. <laughs> when, when I was in Utah, I don't know whether I've mentioned this, that I went to Utah last week. No, yeah, did, what's did you, the weather like? Did you go to yeah, Utah? Yeah, it was really nice. I went to Utah. Did I not say that? <laughs> Let me... oh, tell us. One, is it, is one it very the... much like Sheffield? It is. It's a, bit like she it's a bit like Sheffield, but with more sun. And... and but one of the journals there came up to me and said, I love that shirt. Where do I get that shirt? Guess which shirt I was wearing, Charlie. Oh, I'd love to think it was a single track shirt. Was it, it was well, indeed. It was. Was, was it Was it a T-shirt or was no, it the club ride shirt? It was the club ride shirt. Yeah, it exactly. was, this uh, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So the club ride shirts are a nice plaid shirt available in a single track merch store and uh, the technical riding gear, but you can walk into a pub and not look like some kind of neon... Olympic dick. 
or and a mountain biker. And we import them from America, so <laughs> we do should have seen them before. Yeah. So there we go. What about, how about that to finish on for a segue? Go and check out our range of clothing that Charlie's uh, got available in our single track shop because you can dress not like a mountain biker in single track gear. And uh, maybe that will maybe that's our small contribution to improving the image of mountain biking. I have one last contribution. At, right at the top end of all of this, we mentioned beer fifty two, and I didn't know I uh, wasn't I didn't have the discount code to hand. But basically, go to www.beer52.com forward slash single track, and there's a free case of beer. There you go. That's how you do it. Go and do it. And on that note, it's that's where we'll leave it. Uh, until next time, folks, tune in again for another single track podcast. This is me, Mark, signing off. Have a good time, all the time, Charlie. <laughs> this is me, Chips, waving goodbye. And I am going to sulk off because I didn't get beer with a beer podcast. So bye from Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> just missed charlie was that hannah thought it was 25 past four and it turns out she was looking at a photograph of a clock <laughs> a photograph <laughs> of a screenshot yeah mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.